Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Rachel Lipman. St. Louis's 40th annual Pride Fest has made headlines recently for a debate surrounding the inclusion of uniformed officers in the parade. Following much contention, Pride St. Louis reversed its earlier decision to not allow uniformed officers to march in this year's parade. Joining me in studio to talk about this are Jordan Braxton. She is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for Pride St. Louis. And Sayer Johnson. He is the Executive Director of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. Jordan and Sayer, I'd like to welcome you both to our program today. Well, thank you. So I'm going to take this kind of from the top. There were obviously a decision, a series of decisions made about the Pride Parade that led to the current conversation. And I want to hear from each of you is how you remember or see these three key decision points playing out. And the first one is the decision from Pride to ask MTUG to be Metro Trans Umbrella Group to be the Grand Marshal for the parade. This happened in May. Jordan, what was the meaning of the act and how did the, the board reach the decision to extend this invitation to Sayers Group, to MTUG? Um, well, it's it being the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And Stonewall was started by a trans, several trans people. We thought it would be fitting to have MTUG and the entire trans community, past and present, be the Grand Marshals of the parade and center trans, our trans community and uplift them and show to the rest of the community what, how far we've come in 50 years and, and how trans people are still kind of marginalized, but um, put them, show them some love, basically. Show the trans community some love and, and give them the attention and the love that, that they need. And so that was our, our thought behind it. And as this conversation is happening, if you feel comfortable, where was sort of the, was there a divide on the board to extend this invitation? What did that kind of internal dialogue look like? No, it was, everyone was unanimous that this was a great decision to be made. And there was really no other choice when it came to to picking the Grand Marshal. Because our trans community has always been there, standing toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder to support marriage equality, don't ask, don't tell, um, the AIDS crisis, a lot of us drag queens and a lot of the people in the trans community, we opened up our homes and took people in when um, others wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So this is, it was not even a second thought. Sarah, was there any hesitancy for your group in accepting the invitation to march at the lead of the parade? Um, yes. I mean, we were cautiously optimistic, but bef- this was before the police even became a part of the conversation. And we knew that we'd be putting our bodies out there. And as much as a lot of the humans in our organization would love and need a standing ovation for a mile plus and how beautiful that can be, there was still some trepidation just um, with past strained relationships and just putting ourselves out there. So we were cautiously optimistic. And when did the police officers begin to become part of the conversation? The decision not to ask police not to march in uniform happened, I believe, in early June. But when did the, those conversations begin to, to kind of enter the, the dialogue? Um, the conversation starting in late December, early January with the uh, public safety people that are involved. And so we had those conversations all along. And um, we just decided that it would be best to honor our trans community and the spirit of Stonewall, because everyone has to remember that Stonewall started as a riot, and it started because the police kept raiding um, Stonewall Inn in Green Rivers, and people fought back. So we thought, and to honor that memory and to honor our trans community, that we would ask police not to march in uniform this year. And it was just in uniform. They were welcome to march as police officers. Mm -hmm. You just didn't want them in, in uniforms and... In, in, in guns. And the decision, I believe, was announced in early June mm-hmm. that this that these conversations had happened, but the decision was announced. 
it was maybe 10 days later that the decision to re- or help me understand, remember the timeline here. You, the, you have announced in early June that uniformed police officers were being asked not to march in uniform. How much after that was the decision to reverse announced with Pride and with Mayor Cruson at the press conference? Um, it was probably about 10 days later okay. um, because there was a lot of um, I'm looking for the word to use. Um, there was a lot of pushback. Uh, especially from our cisgender white gay population in our community. Um, so we listened to our community. We talked to others in the community and some other organizations. And we just thought um, what a moment in time this was to start creating change. And so we did welcome uniformed policemen back into the parade. Um, there, that decision was not a light decision. There was many, many, many hours of discussion from the Pride Board. Um, and we came up with the decision to allow them in. And when you say a moment to create change, how did you view allowing police officers in uniform into the parade as that moment to create change? Well, as the director of diversity and inclusion, it's my job to make sure that everyone in our community is included. And that includes um, our LGBTQI policemen. Um, so we just talked about it. We we labored over it, and we came to this decision, and, and I actually was the person who made the announcement with the mayor standing there. We thought this was the best way to disseminate this information is through a press conference. Jordan, or uh, Sayer, excuse me, what was the reaction from the trans community and from MTUG when the Jordan announced this decision that uniformed police officers would be allowed on the parade? We were very disappointed and upset, and, um, you know, we have a strained relationship at best with the police and a problematic and brutal relationship oftentimes and we it just it eliminated any sort of um facade of safety for us and we were dis- were very disappointed and has the organization made a decision about whether they'll continue to be the grand marshal of this year's uh, pride parade no the metro trans umbrella group is removing ourselves as grand marshal of the st louis pride parade and how did the group reach that decision what was the process in doing that we had hundreds of conversations with our stakeholders and our constituents. And this is, you know, it, it really wasn't a very difficult decision. We knew that that was the best decision for our organization. But really, so much of this conversation is being had. And it's, it's smoke and mirrors, because we're looking at humans right now that are experiencing liberation. And a parade is great. Fantastic. It's a couple of hours out of one day of the year. And, you know, pride for many of us marks a year of survival, not necessarily a celebration. And so it's disappointing. And I hope that it helps shift this conversation away from all of these things, because really what we're doing is we're struggling to get our basic needs met as a community. Survival is where we're at. Right. And and, and I agree with that totally. You know, I'm disappointed they're not going to be grand marshals, but I respect the decision. It's, it, but what you have to look past this, we've opened up a larger conversation, the conversation that we shed light on that people in the trans community don't have equal housing. There's just the necessities, food, lodging, um, health care. So we started that conversation and we're hopefully moving forward. We can continue these conversations and 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 have the entire St. Louis community understand the needs. And, and we come to terms, not to terms, but we get education, diversity, and, and inclusion training for um, St. Louis public safety workers so they understand the importance of what this meant to the trans community to be the Grand Marshals in the parade. Tori wrote on our Facebook page with a very similar question. She wrote, I would love to hear a lot more about what the transgender community needs in the longer term from the city. 
Pride is only this weekend, but trans folks with unmet needs are always here. What are the needs of folks and how can the city or individuals get involved in providing those needs? Let's take that first part of the question. Sayer, what are the needs of the transgender community? I mean, we need to know that the city of St. Louis has our backs and has at least some of our interest at heart. And we, we, that, we don't believe that. That is simply not true. We need housing. We need jobs. We need identity, identity papers to match our presentation. We need to be able to have safe access to health care that's affirming. I mean, it's, you know, but really in this sea of Missouri where the state does not have our back, to know that the city is, all, is challenging that now, it's, it's very disappointing. It's very frightening. What would you like to see the city uh, be doing to encourage some of those policies in the way that it can? So much of it is state, but there's also a local component to Engage this. in intentional conversations with the stakeholders, which is the trans-expansive community. Sit down at the table with us. Invite us to the table. Have us be a part of these decisions. Have us be a part of the community. Learn from us and listen to the needs that we have that are deep and you know, it's just all of this conversation, I hope, leads to a better place for us to have a place at the table. And Jordan, if folks wanted to get involved, say or ask this you as well, if folks wanted to get involved in supporting the needs of the trans and the LGBTQ community more broadly, what are some of the ways that they can do that? Um, first of all, you can donate to MTUG. You can donate to Pride St. Louis because um, people, for some reason, think that our organizations don't get along, but we have worked together on many projects, um, so they can donate to other organization. They can volunteer for each organization, but most importantly, they can stop and listen to stories and narratives. And um, we, like I said before, it's time to move forward. We have um, sent out um, um, an email to start starting those conversations because we want to start having meetings where we can get together as a community and as organizations and work toward these goals that Sarah just talked about and some meeting some of the needs of the trans community and we need our government officials and people in our St. Louis LGBTQIA community to come together and focus, roll up our sleeves and get through this process and get to those needs that our trans community needs so bad. Sarah, I'll I'll turn back to you. Is there a conversation or a discussion or an issue you can point to where you feel as though you have been telling the city, the state, nationally what it is that the trans community needs and that they are not listening to your stories? Well, we haven't had the opportunity to have the conversations. Nobody has invited us to the table. We we don't have the opportunity to really engage in those sorts of conversations. And so much of the conversation has been taken over by this pride parade, which and it's just it's it's a discount to our community. We need to get to the root of what we really need, which is basic support services. Our humans are not having our basic needs met. We're not, we serve people that don't have access to housing, access to food, access to showers. These are the things that are happening with the trans expansive community in St. Louis. So at Mayor Krusen's press conference where the decision was announced on the, the downtown pride parade and uniformed officers being matched, The mayor mentioned that, thankfully, the world has made a lot of progress in the last 50 years. And that statement felt incomplete to me. It felt incomplete to some of our producers. I wanted to get both of your takes on this before we take our first break. In what ways do you feel that that statement is true? And what ways do you feel that that statement is false? I mean, when it comes to trans liberation, we we are we are way behind the rest of our LGB siblings. We are not in a place in a celebratory place. Like I said, pride oftentimes for us is a mark of survival, not celebration. And uh, Jordan, for you, how do you feel that that statement may be true in some ways, and how do you feel that it is still false? Um, I agree with Sarah. Is that 
the trans community has not got the same equality rights that the rest of the community has. And yes, we have we can celebrate that, but we need to focus and say, yes, we need to bring our trans expansive siblings with us so we can have the same equality, the same jobs, the same housing benefits, n- non-discrimination policies, things like that, that our trans community needs. And at Pride St. Louis, we want to help with that. We want to stand toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder, and work as a community to get those needs met. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Jordan Braxton of Pride St. Louis and Sayer Johnson of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. I now want to return to our conversation with Jordan Braxton of Pride St. Louis and Sayer Johnson of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. Sayer, one of the things that you keep bringing up is housing opportunities and access to housing. What does being blocked from housing look like for trans individuals? Well, oftentimes we're faced with barriers with our um, identification, which can, which can lead to gaps in employment, not having people in our lives that are affirming to us. So not having safe, safer places to live. All of these barriers lead to not being able to have a, a background check or have the credit available to get housing um, and have landlords who generally engage folks when they're um, applying for housing having discriminatory practices and having transgender people having no access to actually pursue uh, discrimination cases. It's, um, it just it becomes a cycle in a loop. You have both mentioned that the trans, that the LGBT community, or excuse me, the LGBT siblings, Sayer, as you put it, have, have advanced a little bit more in terms of the, the equal rights. And I'm wondering if you have a sense as to why it is the trans community maybe gets left behind in some of these conversations and in some of the advancements of rights for the, from the rest of the, the community. I, um... <laughs> It, it's it, it's hard to explain. I, it, I think it's, for me, I'm going to speak from the I person, I think sometimes it has to do with, with visibility and, and not listening to trans stories or, 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 or not engaging and talking and having conversations and listening to trans stories and listening to trans, our trans siblings. Because when you hear the story, after this all has gone down, um, I've had many people contact me and say, oh, I actually sat down and talked to a trans person and I understand what you all were talking about. Well, that's a little bit too late now because, you know, the damage has already been done. So if we had those conversations before we got to this point, the people would have understood a lot why it was very important to center our trans expansive family. And I don't know how you go. The only way I look at things is education, educating people, because we have to educate people so they understand what people are going through. Because like Nelson Mandela said, education is our greatest weapon in this fight against intolerance. So we have to use, and I have to use my visibility and my voice in whatever leadership I have in our community to educate the rest of the community and have them understand some of the things that trans people go through, some of their basic needs like housing, jobs, clothing, toothpaste, deodorant, stuff like that, that sometimes I think our cisgender counterparts don't understand because they have not experienced those things. So it's through our voices and our visibility, we have them listened and we have them learn what it's like to be a trans individual. And yes, we have been left behind because when marriage equality was done, trans communities said, hey, we are here, what about us? 
and no one listened. And so it's through this that I think the trans community has been left behind because no one is listening. Sarah, I love you. I've been jumping up and down and screaming these things, but people haven't been listening. So this is the opportunity from this moment forward. We had this necessary conversations, not only with the police, not only with our parties, but with our own St. Louis LGBT community, because they have the privilege and the voice to help us get along. Just like when they were sick, they needed a marriage equality, trans purpose. I was there. I marched with you. I stood in the rain. I stood in the cold. Now it's time for you to reciprocate that as a community and as a city, and we need to accomplish this. Sarah, what's your take as to why the T so often gets left out of the progress that LGB has made? Well, I think a lot of our narrative has been controlled by the media as far as like how you know transgender and trans expansive humans is through the media, and it's inaccurate, and it's not, it, it doesn't even scratch the surface of the depth and the beauty and the resilience that trans expansive humans have in engaging in the world. Just to walk around this planet in a trans expansive body is an act of resilience, and it's an act Act of, of of bravery and beautifulness, and I, I just challenge that folks not knowing our narratives is really is a huge barrier to getting um, getting our needs met and being part engaged in our LGB uh, sibling community. What is it the media gets wrong about the narrative of the trans community? Well, I think that we, early on, certainly a lot of the portrayals that I saw, we were villains or we were um, you know murderers or we were problematic. We and it's also very um, wrapped in, up in white supremacy. You very rarely see uh, trans people of color represented in positive portrayals in the media. It's just important, I think, that we take that back and we reframe it and we put ourselves out there in ways that people can get to know us as, as, a, as a community and get to know the depth and the, the beauty that we are. How can people who want to learn about the community and have these conversations do so in, in a way that is respectful and also centers the trans community so that they aren't doing the effort to educate everyone, that emotional labor we hear a lot about? Right, I think you need to come to our spaces and come to our tables. Like this Friday, we're having a, a trans march, and it's it's run by trans folks. It's cop-free, and it's going to be an opportunity for us to celebrate joy and celebrate taking up space in community. It's run by us. It's done by us. It's for us. And would you would you say that entering the spaces means with an invitation in the way that this parade is is kind of a public event? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, yes, accepting invitations from trans expansive humans to come and get to know us and be in our space. I think that's a great first step. I also think funding our liberation is a great first step because again, our basic needs aren't being met. We have to, uh, in order to meet some of our basic needs, we're going to need uh, folks to give out with financial resources as well as emotional resources. Uh, Jordan, is there anything else that you would like to add to that point is how people can educate, learn, expand their knowledge about the community and do so in a respectful way? Um, it's basically what say or say Come to our spaces. Come and listen to trans stories. Go to trans events. Go visit the headquarters. Fund things because MTUG does a lot of work for the for the trans community and they need resources because we as a community have lots of needs and sometimes those needs cost a lot of money. Uh, Sarah, what are some of the uh, the the needs that MTUG helps to 
to meet and some of the programs that people would support by supporting your organization? I mean, prior to being given a gift of a house a year and a half ago, um, we were primarily social emotional support, which is the heartbeat of the organization. But given the house, we've been able to put in programs in the place. We have a free clothing closet. We have a food pantry. We have uh, we give out bus passes and and we we support people with phones. We have, unfortunately, tents and sleeping bags that we have to um, provide for folks when there's no other resources. We have laundry services. We have showers. We are the system in place for trans expansive humans. We've created our own system because there were no systems for us. The systems that were protect has failed the trans community. So that's why we that's why MTUG, the Great Organization of Ideas, exists. Right. And bringing it, you know, and so that I think bringing it back around to sort of the topic at hand, when our own community fails us, as is happening right now, it's disappointing because we really have to, the conversations are great, but when we aren't truly centered and we are excluded, it it causes greater divides and it's going to take longer to heal and longer to work towards collective liberation together. And I, I have a question about language. You've been using the phrase trans expansive and I'm wondering how you are defining that word. So for me, I try to be as inclusive as I can in my language and trans expansive are humans who take up the space uh, on the on the uh, gender spectrum who would not be cisgender. So if you are not a cis person, which would mean um, some someone who identifies as the sex that they were identified with at birth, then you are welcome under that trans expansive, trans, non-binary, intersex, gender fluid, gender, gender queer. queer. It's just a, a, a larger, broader term to sort of try to uh, net as many of us as possible. We got a tweet from a listener named Aaron who wrote, the pride and police uniform issue, in his view, was compounded by St. Louis's complex history of over-policing post-Ferguson. There were good con- intentions, but the police on their own will not police themselves. Is the, How do you think that fits into a, a broader narrative? Do you agree with, with the point that Aaron's making? I mean, I, yes, and I just believe that if the police would have agreed not to march in their uniforms with their weapons, we would be having a whole different conversation. It could have been a good, a, a tiny gesture in a sea of problematic behavior that we have seen from the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. A tiny gesture to center a marginalized community that is asking for this reasonable accommodation, providing them t-shirts, it would have just changed everything. I believe at least, maybe no, it wouldn't have changed everything. It would have pivoted the conversation a little tiny bit. Do you think this would have looked a little bit different maybe pre-Ferguson or would these conversations have been very similar had Ferguson not happened five years ago? I think the conversation still would remain the same. Well, yeah, I think that during that movement, we just had much more media coverage about Mm -hmm. the brutality that we are often uh, inflicted upon us by police. And so, yes, I think that that just gave a huge window to the behavior. But um, yeah, I think it's been, it's certainly been, Mm -hmm. I mean, the Stonewall revolution, 50 years it's been going on, right? And it's nothing new that how the police sometimes treat the trans community. That's nothing that happened. That's been going on before Ferguson. And like I said, it's like moving forward, it's time to address those issues and come to some kind of of programs through our public safety department to get everyone educated. And that's the thing. 
So there are multiple Pride celebrations going on this weekend for all members of the LGBTQ community. I was wondering if you guys could just share a little bit about your forced Pride experience. Sayer, I know that you it's not necessarily a celebration always for the trans community. It's just another year of survival. But what were your first Pride experiences like? What did it feel like to be in those spaces? I mean, you know, part of my story is when I was 16 years old, I came out as a lesbian and my mother had some feelings about it. And she said, well, I need you. I need to take you to meet your people. And so she took me to my first pride parade. And it was in the Central West End. And, you know, I saw humans. uh, I I saw lesbians for the first time in a group. And I at least knew that I could be an old lesbian. Like I knew that that was (laughs) going to be a possibility model. And then, you know, fast forward 20 maybe 30 years later uh, (laughs) when I come out as transgender and I go to my first Pride celebration, I met with humans saying, uh, wow, I would have never guessed that you're really a woman. So, you know, these situations, it was a very different experience coming out as a a baby dyke or a baby lesbian than it was coming out as a a transgender man 10 years ago. And Jordan, uh, for your, what were your Pride experiences like and how have they changed over the years? Well, I've always been involved with Pride always either emceeing or putting together the festival. And what I get out of it is seeing people coming and celebrating who they are um, and celebrating that their lives, not their lifestyle, but like living their lives out proud and authentically. And that includes everyone in the LGBTQI community. And I know that people don't feel safe. um, They don't feel protected. So what I try to do is I try to make that environment, try to make that festival as inclusive as possible. And sometimes, yes, I failed at that. But each year we try and we strive to make it a better, more safe, inclusive people. Like this year, I got chalk paint so people can come paint their flags on the sidewalk. So you can see the decoration. You can feel the inclusiveness of the festival. Would there be any advice that you would offer to individuals who consider themselves allies of the LGBTQ plus community who want to attend Pride events and be respectful in attending those Pride events? Um, You come and you listen to our stories. Um, Because sometimes people think that they can take ownership of the festival. But remember, this festival is for everyone and allies. Come and listen and learn and and show support and center and and listen to the stories of the entire community. Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, you know, coming out and and celebrating and loving on us and getting to know the community. And, um, you know, I also think sometimes being an ally is taking a step back and making sure that... um, the space is where you where you need to be. And I think, um, you know, certainly s- giving funds to queer-owned businesses is important and um, participating in that capacity. That was Sayer Johnson of the Metro Trans Umbrella Group. We were also joined by Jordan Braxton of Pride St. Louis. I want to thank you both for joining us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.